there are so many nuances when we talk about the topic of sex and sexuality that it was imperative that we had another conversation. This conversation included women from diverse backgrounds and diverse experiences. We have a sexuality researcher, we have a sex therapist, we have an educator, and an entrepreneur of sexual products. The conversation flies, there are sparks, take a listen. Let's begin. All right. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So, greetings to everyone. <clears throat> we are continuing our conversation about Black female sexuality. I am privileged to have with me today four Black women coming from various places Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Texas, and the UK who bring varying experiences and expertise to talk about sex, Black female sexuality, stereotypes, stigmas, what we are doing, and what we can do about defining and understanding our sexuality. Welcome, ladies. So let's begin with Alex. Alex is a sexuality researcher. Good morning. Welcome, Alex. Good morning. Thank you so much. I'm also a dancer, a yoga teacher, and a PhD candidate at the University of Texas at Austin. There's Black women's sexual and sensual pleasure. Broadly, I look at Black women's everyday play, their practices through striptease, sensual movement, artistry, and entrepreneurship. So the thing that I, yeah, the (laughs) thing that you've asked me to talk about um, broadly, we can get into that, or how would you like to guide Well, so let me introduce the other three persons and then we'll come back to you, Alex. Perfect. Okay, next I'd like to introduce Kia. Kia is an educator. Hello, Kia. Hello, Um, I'm an educator. I'm also a black woman searching for her sensuality and her sexual power while dating, which is terrible and (laughs) (laughs) pretty <laughs> okay, so we have some questions for you coming too. Next, I'd like to introduce Nicole. Hi. Nicole is an entrepreneur. She couldn't find it, so she decided that she would, um, you know, find them and sell them. So, um, welcome, Nicole. <laughs> Hi. Um, well, yes, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, but at the same time, when I decided to sit down and create the business, I wanted it to not just be a space where women could come, or well, not just women, uh, I guess I would say that I am selling mostly to black femmes because there is a grey, there is a grey, um, oh, sorry, I'm looking for the words. There, yes, there's a great spectrum of black femininity and I don't want any yes. one black femme person to not yes. feel like they can find what it is that they want when they come and they search for things when they look 
at them with me. And when I sat down and I thought about the way that I would design it, I wanted it to be, for lack of a better word, a one-stop shop. So if you were to come on my Instagram, for example, there there are wellness guides around sensuality, around using masturbation, not only just as a form of a pleasure and a form of release, but also the fact that it can be used for grounding. It can be used as a healing process as well, because I think the issue with not speaking about sex a lot is that you don't understand all of the different forms that it can take and the way yes. that it's healthy and natural for us. So that's yes. what my is about. Wow. We're going to have more questions for you too. But last but not least, we have Simi. Simi is a sex therapist. Hello, Simi. Hey there. Uh, so yes, I am a sex therapist. I am actually um, right here in Philadelphia. However, my um, I own the company called Psychicle LLC. Um, and it's a play on words for the idea that psychology is cyclical. <laughs> um, so I started it uh, originally um, to make sure that people had access to good mental health through teletherapy. Uh, I do also have a very uh, big push for making sure that I am able to help people of color simply because in recognizing uh, or in doing this work, I realized that that was really lacking, finding clinicians who were people of color, also helping people of color. Um, and that's my whole push. Uh, I also realized in the literature as I went to the specialization of sex therapy was uh, when I started doing research in my master's program, I found a lot of information uh, when it came to Black people specifically was very much um, STD-centered. Um, Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I wasn't finding a lot of research just like, hey, happy black people have this kind of sex. It was just mm-hmm. like, poo poo, um, teenage pregnancy and more poo poo STIs and how do we prevent and, and how do we help them or help this community get uh, lower teen pregnancies and lower STD rates and nothing at all about sexual pleasure um, or happiness. And I really wanted to try and get in there and change that um, and help people in the community as well. So that's kind of the whole push for Psych Sickle. Excellent. So even though some of us are strangers, we all have common interests and common desires. And I am feeling very privileged to have you here today. So Alex, I have a question for you. Does the messaging in the songs like WAP by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion benefit help us harm us in terms of black female sexuality so i want to begin by saying that's a loaded question (laughs) and fully answer it um Uh in any length of time so i just want to give room to that but i think three key points right historicizing explicit sexual narration is really important here so there's a lot of musical history of Black and Black queer in particular sexual narrative that we can look towards. A lot of times the uproar around songs like WAP um, and this current moment of sexual explicit hip hop is that it seems brand new. Like it's just all the teenagers and the 20 year olds kind of running out here and doing really risky sex and like it's brand new 
And that is actually really ahistorical. It's not true. Um, there's a long history of music that comes out of Black communities. And I would actually argue that American music is Black music. And there's a lot of scholars and a lot of work um, that stands behind me on that. But importantly, that this music comes out of juke joints. It comes out of blues. There's blues feminism and hip hop feminism that showcases that. There's a Black poet named Hess Love who has a Spotify playlist called Hoenn Blues that features the music Lucille Bogan and other dirty blues artists that have discographies that are very sexually narrative, right? And they employ different types of lyrical strategies. They talk about taking multiple lovers. They homosexual or polyamorous relationships, right? This type of music was coming out in the 1920s. So the fact that this is still continuing a hundred years later means that this is a long tradition, right? So for me, knowing that type of history, I'm able to put WAP into context, right? And thus its benefit to me is very subjective. And someone who doesn't have that history does that work differently? So I give that grace. Another resource that I want to point out is that people um, different tra trajectories of how hip hop on WAP or other types of sexually narrative things, right? We tend to, as a society, give a lot of grace to male presenting be sexually narrative and we don't give that women a lot of that is rooted in something called respectability politics a record black people in particular but also globally right and mm -hmm. i hold room for both of those things and more that we don't always have to operate injury when we talk about our pleasures and that both room to hold space for diverse traditions of expression and joy and storytelling that also be rooted in shame and injury or comparing ourselves to what heterosexual men do or mm -hmm. what white folks let other people do sometimes we can just for ourselves secondly oh go ahead well no please continue because i was going to digress slightly for sure for sure secondly i think it's really important that we challenge our individual desires to shame or hate seek what or kind of do this queer inspiration um to get the happen um, we as Black people, we do deserve pleasure of all types, right? Mm -hmm. There's no need for us to violently shame each other out of joy. Um, and I think a lot of the controversy around WAP and songs like it by the City Girls or Coyle Ray, um, we know as Mulatto or other people like that, is about the audacity and the explicitness and the display of being loud loud and proud about one's sexual pleasure, right? Um, but one thing that I try to argue in my work that 
uh, audacity in time has to be as loud the original injustice to begin with and if we take seriously the ways in which black women try to black women their lives you have to take into consideration that it takes so much already to be heard and what are the ways in which sometimes you just need to be absurd and egregious to be heard mm-hmm. and also we can hold room that WAP and other things yes they can be tools they can be ways that we learn to engage in affirmations, right? I think there is power in folks being able to wake up every morning and say, you know what? Yes, Your Honor, I am a free bitch, handcuffs, leashes. I think that's important for us to be able to have that language and see other people claim a particular type of sexual pleasure or kink or desire and announce that. But it can also just be entertainment. It could just be beautiful to look at. It could just be beautiful to see. Um, it could be something that we work at. It can be a sexual confidence tool. It can be something that helps us in our dating life. But it can also just be chill and good to listen to. Not everything that we consume has to be put to use for a bigger thing. So these are just some broader themes that I think can help us in this um, what purpose does it serve? So that's very interesting why. because I'm going to circle back around to you and I'm going to bring Kia into this because mm-hmm. it seems like one of the uh, glaring things with that particular song is that it seemed almost transactional. I'm going to mm. do this and I'm going to get a Birkin bag or I'm going to do this. And there was very little... Um, um, reference to just pleasure, mm-hmm. which Kia. I'm, I'm sorry, I disagree with that. Oh, well, please tell me why. Because she. Let's take if we even take um for example, first and foremost, transactional sex. I think the way we even look at transactional sex is wrong. If a woman, for example, was to be sleeping with a guy and this guy. She liked him. She had feelings for him in the, in the traditional sense that we understand. Mm-hmm. But she didn't actually receive any of the emotional labor that she was requiring from her partner. That to us or to most people is acceptable or maybe it's not ideal, but we understand it and we may coddle this. But maybe Cardi gets pleasure from getting a bag. And not only does she talk about um, not only uh, the pleasure in the in the physical things that she may receive from this relationship. She also talks about, um, sorry, actually Megan talks about dribble down the side of her. They talk Mm -hmm. about the ways that they will be on top and the ways that they will express their sexuality. And in the same way that in say some relationships you have like a dominant partner and a submissive partner, maybe the dominance over this is what gives them pleasure because people receive and enjoy pleasure in different ways. And I think the, the, the way in which the black community, which is globally very conservative, I mm. think I think that's the reason why we take issue with it. I think this all kind of stems and all it's just a drip, it's just a trickle down of what we would call again respectability politics. I think that the issue I think the issue that we take with transactional relationships all comes back down to the idea that you think that we shouldn't be necessarily doing that. And I just I think we need to really be careful about what we label as someone else's pleasure and what isn't pleasure. Mm. Okay, that's that's a good point. Um, but I do want to bring Kia in because Kia, you have a t-shirt 
that says black women deserve great sex. Now, I think this gets to what you were saying, Nicole, it depends on how you define it for yourself. If a transactional sexual encounter is pleasure for you, that's one thing, but I don't think that most women, no, I, 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 that's probably not correct. I will speak for myself. Mm. I will say that I am not looking for a transaction. I am looking for pleasure. And I don't define pleasure as a Birkin bag. Right. Kia, my question for you is, uh, what does that statement mean to you? Black women deserve great sex. And why is that statement necessary? I think... Well, one, when I first saw the shirt on Kimberton's website, I was like, yes, I need that because I feel like it's something that Black men don't recognize and it's something that mm. Black women themselves don't recognize. And the reactions I get when I wear the shirt, especially from men, Black or other, is always, is that so? You know what? You're absolutely right. Because mm. a lot of times we're raised as Black women or even as women to believe that sex is something or our sexuality is something that we use to reward men. It's something that we give to men that we do to please men. You're taught that your virginity is important and you only give it to somebody who you know is important to you and the whole thing. And that goes into also shaming women who decide it's not that important and they're going to do whatever they want to do with their bodies. So mm -hmm. when you really think about the fact that a lot of times when we approach sex, we don't approach it in a way that centers ourselves. We don't think, how is he going to please me? What is going to you know, happen in this situation that I'm going to walk away satisfied and pleased? Is the aftercare that I receive going to be enough for me to be happy with our interaction, whether it's a relationship, it's casual, or otherwise? And when you look at it that way, you start to realize that a lot of times we're not getting great sex. Mm. And it, I've even had conversations with my friends because I've had the experience where it feels like men are just masturbating in you. Mm. And you're just there. Mm. So it's like taking your power back to say, no, I deserve great sex. And like Nicole said, great sex is going to vary by person but take the power back and say, what is great sex to me? And make sure that you get it. Because they're not just going to give it to you. Absolutely. And Nicole, I think clearly there have been lots of stereotypes and stigmas that we faced as Black women. And one of the things that you've been bold about is um, defining for yourself and, and getting what you need and what you want. Mm -hmm. um, your business started. Can you basically give us a little history of how your business started? Well, I guess the seed of the idea, I must have been, I must have been about 20 years old and I was at uni and that's when I'd started like exploring with, well, yeah, exploring my sexuality, especially like exploring masturbation because especially, well, I guess it's very different for male presenting people when they're about 12, 13, masturbating is like, it's a rite of passage the boys talk about it is expected of them mm. and there's 
obviously there can be slight embarrassments around it, but there isn't like a huge societal shame. Whereas, especially when you speak to younger women, a lot of them had this idea that masturbation had to be for people who weren't attractive enough to attain a mate or mm-hmm. they, yeah. And this this whole idea that if you're touching yourself, that means nobody else wants to touch you. Whereas masturbation can be like a great way to learn your body so that you can actually vocalize what you want. Because when you look at the orgasm gap between um, heterosexual couples, of course there's a lot of things around the patriarchy, but then, you also have to then look at, do you even know what you like? When right. Yes. And that is like a huge, huge, huge issue with women, whether they be black or white or whatever the case is. We've never really sat down as a whole gender, I would say, and asked ourselves, what would we like? I think we're coming now to a space where, coming now to a space where we're beginning to normalise things like um, pleasure tech. Um, but when I was 20 and I was at uni, I was I was looking around for a dildo and all of them either, they're all, um, they're all um, modeled after either white men or they were rainbow. And that's fine. I mean, I like colors and everything, but <laughs> I just, we exist. And what really struck me about it was that, especially, I mean, I don't, I know that racism comes in different forms everywhere, but British racism is awkward and strange in the sense that nobody wants to say fully that they're racist. So it comes out in very, very awkward and strange ways. So for example, if I'm at a bar, someone will, they'll become, they'll all of these like very fetishy, very hypersexualized ways of trying to approach me. But then on the flip side, if you were to look at British media, black people do not get romance roles. Black people are not leads. It's only started to begin to happen. So it's like on the very, on one extreme, when people and even people outside of our community will talk about porn and things that are very hypersexualized, they really associate black people with it. But then when it became sensuality, pleasure, all of those kinds of things laid into it, then were suddenly no long, nowhere to be found. And it really, really irritated me. However, at the time, I felt like I was too young to um, to run the business. And also, at the time, I was afraid to tell my parents and all of those kinds of things, so I left it alone. <laughs> and over the period of the pandemic that I thought to myself, I'm at a place and comfortable, and I feel that I'm grown enough within myself that I feel like I can talk about these things and I can be open about it as open about it with my family and whoever else it is that I could stand in my truth so I decided to start it and a lot of where I found importance in it for myself is that like a lot of women I've experienced trauma and I found that one of the things that really brought me through the other side of it was the fact that at the time when I was in a particularly dark place I couldn't even stand the feeling of my skin on my own body but once I was able to engage with myself physically all of the other things started to come along with it because if when I learned my body when I learned what I liked when I was able to take control of that it didn't feel like it was in the hands of anybody else Mm. and I didn't feel like that was something that I should Mm -hmm. that wasn't that was such a gift to be able to find that but that wasn't a gift that I wanted to have for just myself it's something that I would like all women especially black women because we experience trauma at a higher rate a disproportionate rate unfortunately I really wanted that gateway one of the ways in which you can heal yourself to be open to them and on the flip side we deserve to laugh we deserve to have fun we deserve to have multiple orgasms because our bodies are capable of it so why the hell not yes Um, yeah 
that that was really yeah that was really it in a nutshell for me so um noir naughty is not only just something that i think can be important in healing but it's also a place for laughter and fun like i don't want to be too solemn and too serious about something that really should just be play okay you've answered the question but i'm going to ask you to answer it one more time why was it so important to have a black dildo because there was no reason for us to be hypersexualized and invisible at the same time. That was just not something I really wanted to stand for anymore. Okay. And so you then proceeded to do what after you decided that there weren't any, or did were you able to find a black dildo? Um, I was able to find them in wholesalers, but when it came to looking for them in um, the larger brands that you find in the UK, a lot of the black dildos, they weren't black in the sense that we refer to ourselves as black people. They were actually pitch black and they were really like, there'll be like 11, um, well, yeah, there'll be like 11 inches long, really <laughs> overly yeah. black. You, like mm. it was ridiculous, like novelty size, something you'd buy for a hen party, like you, or you don't, this is something that you actually, not saying nobody would use it, but most people would not be able to handle what they were selling so, <laughs> so like yeah so for example if you were to go on the site now you've got ones that are six inches and then you've got the ones that are 10 inches and the ones in between because I think a lot of it comes back down to the whole idea of the mandingo and it really that's something mm -hmm. that makes me so deeply mm -hmm. uncomfortable because in the end that actually affects our male presenting folks in a really really it, it can be life-threatening for them so mm -hmm. I, if so, fine, if you do want a dildo or if it's the case that you do want to strap on because that's what you use with your partner, then here is something that actually looks like a real human being because we are real human beings. And even if maybe you are trying to replicate having that partner in your life and you're using this as a void in the meantime, it should you should have the option of something that looks realistic, that looks doable, for <laughs> lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah. I remember I was married previously and we were having trouble with sex. He was my first partner. And he said, you don't know yourself. Go to the, go to the sex store and buy some toys and get to know mm. yourself. And they literally, mm. the only black dildo they had was like this gigantic 12 inch. It was brown. <laughs> it was brown, but it was like, it was huge. And I, I bought it because that's the only one that was there. And I was like, maybe this is what I need. <laughs> <laughs> It's like but, a variety. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Very good point. Simi, I want to bring you into this because it's about knowing yourself. I mean, that's what I'm hearing. Appreciating who you are, knowing yourself, um, and then being able, I think someone said this already, to be able to stand in your truth. Um, but Simi, given the stereotypes that there, that we have, given the media messaging that we are sometimes exposed to, given all the dismal statistics that you hear about Black women, you know, more unlikely to be unmarried. I don't know if that's the case in the UK, but that's definitely yeah. the case here in this country. Um, or being without a partner or having a hard time finding a partner. Um, is there a role for sex therapy for Black women? And um, do you think we need it? Um, so I'm a little biased, but I would say everybody probably needs some therapy. Um, but I also want to note, I think that's a, a really big question. Um, and not necessarily that the two are kind of 
intertwined. So I do think that sex therapy would pretty much be beneficial um, to everyone at some point in their life, because at some point or another, I find that eventually somebody's going to have some sort of issue where it would be helpful to talk about it. Um, so I, I, I first think that often people usually think of, oh, I only need to go to therapy if there is like something really egregious wrong with me. Like I have a terrible issue and it's kind of shame filled. Uh, I love that these days that is slowly but surely like being uh, changed. Several people, uh, especially like this newer generation, millennials seem to be perfectly fine with going to therapy and they are changing that narrative of uh, there is nothing bad or negative about going to therapy. If you have an issue, you go talk about it to help you move you move through it just like you would with literally anything else going on in your life. Um, but necessary, like sex is one of those interesting things where you, it's very difficult to build a relationship off of sex. But if sex is a problem in a healthy relationship, it can become a very big problem, even if it's the only thing in there. So I don't think that having a healthy or going to sex therapy could help you get a partner or change that, uh, change kind of the statistic of, of people being unmarried in the community, but most certainly think, I think it could improve relationships where they do exist uh, or uh, help improve the dating aspect of things. So people actually are getting the type of sex that they want. They are in fact getting uh, the pleasure that they want. And, Cause I also wanna make sure that I'm not uh, highlighting that the culmination of sex or the highlight of sex is to have orgasm. There are plenty of people who do not orgasm and still find sex very pleasurable. Um, I think some of that is a little bit more into that as well. Specifically, I feel like, well, not even I feel like, female orgasmic disorder is one of the biggest uh, sexuality uh, disorders that is um, diagnosed. And what's interesting about this is even with it being the biggest one diagnosed, a piece of that diagnostic criteria is that it causes distress. So you can say that I never uh, orgasm during sex, but it doesn't cause me distress because, well, you know, as long as my partner gets there, that's all that matters. Or, you know, I, I enjoyed it. So that, that's Stimmy, good. Can I stop you? Is that because our expectation is so low. That is exactly why. <laughs> so uh, the interesting piece of this is if we, if female orgasmic disorder is already one of the highest diagnosed disorders, sexuality disorders, and then you throw in there that some people aren't even being diagnosed with it because they say it doesn't cause distress. Imagine how many people would really qualify if it was just like, so you're never having an orgasm, you're okay with it, but you're never having an orgasm with your partner uh, or in certain uh, pieces, that number would be even higher. So then it comes to like looking at why is that? And it's, I think that's even more complicated, uh, but from some of the research studies that I've read, it's, it's kind of as if we have been fed this narrative that the female orgasm is this elusive, difficult thing to understand. And well, who could figure that out? Um, whereas mm. like the male orgasm is just it's one, two, three, like everybody should be able to do that. And so mm -hmm. it's kind of ingrained in us, uh, perhaps subconsciously, or sometimes it's very overt uh, that it's okay if she doesn't come, 
because that's really difficult to achieve anyway. Or more importantly, it's okay if I don't come. It, it's as if we have also taken in that narrative um, because that's really difficult to do. And I wanna um, kind of piggyback off of some, uh, some of the things that, that other people have noted. I also think that in that, this idea of like, well, it's okay if I don't come is also because men are usually masturbating earlier. So men are usually, uh, when puberty hits, it's kind of just understood that they will do that exploration. Uh, I've heard in chatting with parents, um, uh, particularly moms, uh, which I think is interesting, but uh, that there's this idea of, oh yeah, he's at the age where he takes quote unquote long showers. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just, everybody expects it. Like boys will be boys, this is exploratory. Um, and yet nobody has that same idea for girls. It's more of the, uh, you want you don't want your girls to be, well, I'm, uh, to be transparent, I'm Southern as well. So I, I'm often hearing about the term, you don't want fast little girls. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't ingrain in men. Like when, historically speaking, when women are raised, you know, they're raised to understand that this is something you give to a man. This is, yes. this is how yes. do you please a man? This, yes. When you give sex, make sure you're getting either, you know, being it be transactional, make sure you're getting something from it, or, you know, you're doing this for him. And nobody talks to men and men to say, how do you please a woman? When you get into a relationship, you need to be trying to please your woman. You need to figure out that this is a shared situation because I think that masturbation starts off with them by themselves, but I think it still extends to men having sex mm -hmm. with women, especially black women it starts to feel like they're just masturbating inside of you instead of centering your pleasure. Men don't center your pleasure. All they care about is having their orgasm. They don't care if you're satisfied. And that's not every man, but the majority don't care about you anymore. And we're not raising men to care about women's pleasure. So I would, I tweak that a little bit because it is a badge of honor for men if she enjoyed it. Like you do not want your partner to be like oh he was trash like that hurts men's feelings <laughs> but uh, what I'll note is women aren't in that conversation and this is the piece that's interesting that I think <laughs> I actually saw um what cartoon was it Big Mouth which I think does a great oh, job mouth. of talking about <laughs> such awkward conversations of puberty spot on I feel like they went straight back to their own high school experience I mean middle yeah. school experience to get that but there's this episode where uh, he's learning uh, one of the characters is learning how to finger and he asks other men <laughs> and then <laughs> legitimately he, he tries to finger his, the, uh, his girlfriend and literally uh, gets upset with her. It's like, well, do you understand this? Because I asked lots of sources and they told me that this is right. <laughs> and I feel like that's the disconnect. Men will go to other men and say, well, how do you do it? And then recreate that. And then when their partner's like, I don't like that. They're like, well, something must be wrong with you. you. Because this other man told me that this is how vaginas go. Yeah. I, I can interject. I remember I must have been, I think I must have been about 18, 19. And I was more or less having that very same experience. And he kept like moving around the area, moving around the area. And I was like, that is not my clip. That is not my clip. That is not my clip. <laughs> <laughs> And then he turned around and go, he turned around and he looked at me and goes, Well, you must be an alien. I thought so me. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate this because what I've also noticed just 
personally, but also in the work that I've done is that beyond the conversations that men have is that when you ask women like, okay, well, what is pleasure for you? What do you like? What do you do? What are you into? And this is part of the shaming that I think older at is that it's really hard to admit it because we don't create a culture where folks can be honest about it. So if your pleasure is getting fingered in or if you are kinky or if you're into particular things, anal sex at one point was really controversial. <laughs> um, all of these Right, things. but then Janae Aieko started saying it in songs and now- Booty Thank has you. become a new thing. You, <laughs> you see where I'm list. going with this, right? <laughs> so, like, we get to a point where it's very icky to say, or it's like, oh, girl, you're into that? Never, never. Or all of the conversations that we can have end up being, oh, no, it was just wrong hole, or he didn't know what he was doing, or he was trying to DJ, and that shit was really whack. I don't really know, <laughs> like, what was going on. <laughs> but it's not like, oh, no, explicitly, this is what my kink is this is what I really enjoy this is how I like to get down and then we're not creating a culture of communication that then allows us to go out and do it and then when we see other women do it then it has to be oh well they're fast or oh they're loose I'm not like that and then it's all this dissociation and hierarchies that we create and then Mm -hmm. sometimes it gets into a real dangerous place where I think you know folks don't want to claim that sometimes um, but the work has to also be here within us too. The, and I love what Zimmy was saying in terms of like, yeah, it's a badge of honor for, <laughs> for the pleasers to be pleasing, but also we have to have the language too um, to be naming like what that pleasure is for ourselves and to know that it varies from person to person, right? And how would you get that without that practice? I love what Nicole is saying in terms of like, you know, you have to go and have these experiences for yourself. And what does that look like? Because the way that I'm going to choose to experience it might be totally different than the rest of you all. And all of that is good and fair and valid. And I, I think what you're you're noting there and you're really highlighting is this catch-22. So mm-hmm. women start off learning about their bodies a little bit later, simply because masturbation is usually starting a little bit later for girls. Um, so men are already have a head start with their equipment and figuring out what to do with it. There is also kind of this, there are messages in the media that women's orgasm is just more elusive. It's just more difficult. Who knows how to figure that out? So not mm-hmm. only did you start late, the world is telling you that it's really, really difficult to figure out. Um, mm-hmm. However, movies are showing you that women come all the time um, and it's mm-hmm. super easy in the movies. So then you have kind of this like, um, mixed messaging that doesn't make very sense, very much sense. So you end up thinking, well, that uh, all women, like all every other woman is being able to have sex. They figured out this uh, enigma and you just haven't. And so mm-hmm. many people come to my practice with that. I've heard quite a few people come in. Well, I don't know why I can never come. Well, you're in good company, honey. Um, mm-hmm. And then on top of that piece, when it gets down to actually having sex with your partner, uh, the partner who's had a head start of figuring out how to actually get himself there, he's going to someone else or he's going to other men or books or, well, actually, I wish it were books. It's usually other men. <laughs> like other <laughs> men or media on how to help a woman actually get to where she's going instead of talking to her. And in fact, 
some of them have this blowback of like, I can't at, like if they do actually uh, talk to her or if she does say, I don't like this, or I would like you to do this, it then becomes an affront to him. Well, are you saying that I'm not good at sex? I'm a super great sex stud guy. And now that conversation is shut down again. So Mm -hmm. it's, I started late learning. I'm getting mixed messages about how prevalent um, sexual pleasure is. And then when I'm actually sitting down with my partner, I either take what he's giving me and be happy about it, or I speak up and say that I don't like it, or I I give him pointers on what I do like, if I have figured it out um, from uh, passing those other two kind of impediments. And then I risk the possibility that he will just tell me it's my fault that I am not like getting to where I need to go because he is absolved of any guilt. So at each step, it's kind of just another punch to the gut in your own sexual pleasure. But I also think mm-hmm. part of it is like women lie. So, oh, I was oh, It's funny. I was on a date last night and I am one of those women. I don't come from sex. And when I tell men that, they're like, oh, well, I'll get you to come because blah, blah, blah. I've never heard mm-hmm. that before. I've never been with anybody who didn't come from sex. And I'm like, they lied to you. And they're <laughs> like, no, they didn't lie to me. They didn't have a reason to lie to me. I'm like, if you're telling me every woman you've been with has had an orgasm, you're lying because statistically, <laughs> that's not you're but not the lying. fact that we need wrong. to pretend, the fact that we need to lie is the problem. Right. You know? And also, while young boys are having their erections and they're playing with their instruments, young girls are having their periods and they're being told things like, and don't get pregnant. And so all of that gets compounded on their ability to feel free, their ability to want to explore. And it it becomes a very, um, young girls get lots of mixed messages. Yeah. Oh, but oh, could I also just add on? I think another one of the issues is when women are lying to each other because, mm. because I, I think, or I maybe it was just me, or maybe it's like the culture I'm around. But I realized that there was this shift from your teens into like your like your early twenties when people were like beginning to like really become adults, where they were pretending to have all of these orgasms that they weren't having. They were lying about this great sex that they never had and all of these experiences. And then you get older, and especially if you've been able to hold on to friendships long enough or been blessed enough to hold on to friendships for long enough to see the evolution, and you sit down, you get to a point, it's like, yeah, I wasn't really enjoying sex like that with this person, or I lied because I wanted my boyfriend or my partner, whoever it is, to look better in the eyes of the people I was discussing these things with. And I find Mm -hmm. that the older that you get the less there's a need to perform for your peers and I think that like you said guys have all of these all of these head starts to us and then on top of it there's this need or I think the idea that a lot of women are raised to be girlfriends are raised to be wives we want to be the best wives we want to be the best performers on top of that as well you then pretend that your partner is the best pleaser in the world and I think the the communal lying to each other causes a lot of problems because I think if maybe I maybe if women were saying to each other that penetration doesn't do anything for me or only does something for me up to a certain point that we, that women wouldn't think that their bodies are broken so often. Mm. Good point. And Very I think, true. and just going back to the I, the talk of what the song what I think mm-hmm. that plays into it too. Like what I've noticed is there's this expectation for women to be these super lovers who are who get wet immediately and they're just 
They have these super juicy vaginas and everything's magical. So and nobody ever needs any lube. Right. No lube. You get like I'm telling you, when I've pulled out lube, men shame you for needing lube. Like, what you need that for? They you do. Like, no. But he, like one man was like, do you have a problem with moisture? I said, no. Do you have a problem with getting me moist? Because how what I get is not lube. It's what you do. What are you doing to make sure that I got a walk? Because mm. it's, not, it's not like an erection. Oh. It doesn't just happen. You got to you have to do something. And mm. they don't get it. And sometimes she just gets tired. <laughs> Very Holy true. I, I think that one thing that people, the main thing that brings people to my door is usually forgetting that sex also happens in your head. Um, mm -hmm. So people, uh, and I, I'm sure it's also because of media messaging and, and movies in particular, that sex is me mechanical. So my body is automatically going to be wet as soon as we say the word sex. Uh, my penis is immediately going to be erect as soon as I see a naked woman. It's just going to happen. Um, that's not usually how it is. It most certainly can. Some people, they're just raring to go and it's a light switch. Other people, not so much. Like it, your mind is your biggest sex organ. And if you're not in it, you're not in it. And a lot of people uh, want to immediately... Uh, so to speak, get in the car and drive away and nobody's warmed up the car. Um, mm. So I think that's another piece that's often like missed. And I, I know that um, originally if we look at like sex research, oh, which is, Alex, you're a sex researcher. So you probably know a little bit more about this than me. Um, <laughs> so I, I know that I believe Masters and Johnson started off with like this linear idea of sex, but then uh, I believe it's Basson or Basson. It came up with kind of this cyclical idea and, and throws in this um, this piece for spontaneous desire. Uh, but mm -hmm. uh, I believe she also noted that it isn't this linear experience, one, but two, uh, for a lot of women, it also isn't starting with the desire being like already there. It's more of we're chatting about it. We're talking about it. And eh, I could go either way, I guess. Uh, but mm -hmm. then as we're chatting, I'm getting a little hot. You know what? I could do this. I could go for some of that. Um, and that's kind of what she noted in kind of the cyclical sense. Um, and I think that piece is often missed. Uh, the idea that you need to continually actually engage your mind in sex and be present. Like think of all the hot stuff that's going on here. Don't just think that your body's going to do it completely simply because your body is in this moment you have to be in the moment as well um and i think that that's probably the linchpin to pretty much every sexual issue that i'm chatting about for the most part there are most certainly other nuances but that's a big chunk yes no i think you're right and what i enjoy again about songs like wap and other ones I and I'm an absolute advocate for WAP. I love it. I listen to it every day and I listen to it on loop yes, before we jump on I do on love that song. <laughs> Just gonna admit that. Um, <laughs> but what I personally love is not necessarily that there's a pressure for me to wake up and just be wet all the time, but more so understanding that that can be something that I use as an affirmation for myself or that I don't have to be shamed out of 
the moments when that happens, right? Or like, I feel very comfortable going to my friends and then we talk about our sexual experiences when things don't go right. And then someone says to me like, oh yeah, we were trying to do this and then this doesn't go right and I just didn't get wet. And then I feel really comfortable being like, you know you can bring lube to a session, right? Like it is okay to bring lube to an appointment. And then they're like, wait. And they're like. Yeah, you know, and and for me, those two things aren't at odds. Like there's not a cognitive dissonance between me holding media that yes, on one hand can be taken as like, oh, well, you're propagating, wanting to be wet all the time and all bodies don't do, like for me, I can have more expansive thinking <laughs> and turn that to be supportive to other people. But that's just because of that's where I am, right? To be like, okay, well, you can bring lubricant, but also know that there are sex therapists and other people that you can talk to and also hydrate, sis. <laughs> oh, right. Change your diet or like, Take and a rest. Blaming the woman, like yes, yeah, you know, and do, all, but yeah, you know, and ladies, all we have we have about three minutes left. Anyone oh. have any? I know, I know. I feel <laughs> like this should go on. Anyone have any any message that they would like to share or anything to sum up? Uh, I think I have two things. Sure. Um. So one. I really want to hone in on the intersectionality piece, both as a Black person and then also uh, it, from race and from gender, because I recognize that anytime there's a super sexually explicit song from a Black woman or from Black mm -hmm. artists, um, or no, specifically Black female artists, mm -hmm. then it makes the news. Then we're talking about it. But I was listening to um, Slumber Party, and I'm going to butcher her name, so I'm not even going to pretend like I know it. Um, but literally, that song is filthy. The whole thing is filthy. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I put it on repeat as well. Um, but she's a white singer, rapper, and the chorus is uh, like, I gave your girl cunnilingus on my couch. That is the chorus. Like, mm. so, and that's cool like I nobody is talking about that piece but it is just as explicit um and that kind of shows like this racial divide where white women white female artists can say pretty pretty darn explicit things and they're just not getting that same level of blowback this happened with Nicki Minaj as well where she had this picture of her and pretty much a thong and I think she had these other pictures of some other um white uh female models with their whole booty out and no one cared at all no in fact I think that was in a magazine um mm -hmm. and then uh, I want to also highlight that same thing is going on with black male artists who are super raunchy I think the last time uh, we were chatting Dr. Rahman I brought up the song Throat Babies which again I love but he literally that's the whole song I no, he's assaulting her with his penis. But like for me, I don't like any of those songs, and it's not even the content or, or the alleged content of the song. It's just trash. Like the beats are terrible, <laughs> the lyrics are terrible. So, so, I'm, so, I'm an older woman, ladies, so ladies, I, I like it. We, 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 we will have to continue this because I think that the problem I have with these songs is if that's the only message that young girls are getting, then that's not enough. And I'm afraid that too often that's the only message. I don't want to, 
I yeah. do want this to continue. Um, so we need to um, get our heads together and decide um, when we'll be able to do this again. But please, um, let's carry on until we get disconnected. <laughs> do you know so, what? I guess my thing is, is that when it comes to the idea that, that these are these girls' only messages, I know that parents have a lot to deal with, but unfortunately, that is an issue of your parenting. Where, mm. are, how are you talking Ooh. to your, your 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 young women about sex in your household? This is a part of your parenting, just as much as teaching your your daughters how to take care of themselves or protect themselves at a party. Teaching them where it is that they should be able to look to in terms of owning their own body, owning their own sexuality. That is also a responsibility that lies with you. If you allow the world to raise your children, then what it is that they become when they're older I, is, is very questionable. That has, to, that has to lie with you in the home. Totally agree, but it doesn't happen a lot right. of times. True. And that's the problem. Um, think about your own personal experience. Did your mother sit down? Now, they probably told you not to get pregnant, but did they tell you how to pleasure yourself? Did they tell you how to turn yourself on before you can turn on a man? And if you didn't get that conversation, it was an incomplete discussion. Right. And that's the problem. Oh, absolutely. But just in the same way that we can understand or I can understand that my mother's generation, they didn't go to therapy, but say someone like myself, very open to it. We need to be able to understand that that transition can happen. But if we yes. don't talk about that as a transition happening, then we end up placing a blame on people who don't even know we exist. But then how do we educate people? Because it is part of parenting, but parenting doesn't come with a manual. So how mm -hmm. do we get, you know, I've always been, mm -hmm. I've been playing parenthood like my whole life, high school, educating people about sexuality and sex and safer sex and all that. And the question becomes, how do we get the message out there to women who weren't taught it, who don't mm -hmm. know? So historically speaking, they don't know to sit their daughter down and say, hey, this is about your pleasure. So how do we get the message out there so that people do know how to educate their children in a proper way. Well, side note. Don't even think that sexual pleasure is something a woman should feel entitled to. Right. Or that it's not an expectation that you should have. And so there's a whole, it's almost like trying to teach somebody something that you don't even know. Right. Well, so I actually, and this is ironic, uh, um, another part of Psychicle, and I'm also in a grad school now, I'm in my PhD program to become doctor more for human sexuality. And what Ooh. I actually wanted to, thank uh -huh. you, trying to get there, trying to get there, honey. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> uh, but what I actually wanted to uh, uh, write my dissertation on was uh, education in the Black community, uh, and specifically this. So I, when I was in, I grew up in Atlanta, um, or, or the suburbs of Atlanta, rather. So uh, our, my extent of sex education there was we all went to Firm Bank, they secluded the boys from the girls, and then they told us about these are the organs, these are your STDs, this is pregnancy, don't do that stuff. It was useless. Um, and I think for a time period, Atlanta had like one of the highest STDs in, um, in young women or Black women from like, or black girls from like 14 to 18, something crazy like that. Uh, it's an old statistic. I'm hoping that that has changed. Um, so what I really want to do with Psychicle is actually offer classes to the community that are straight up sex education. How do you talk to your child about sex? How do you talk to your child about sex mm -hmm. with religion in it? Because another thing that I hear a whole lot back home mm -hmm. is, well, but Jesus says this and Jesus says that. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that we are very much inclusive because if that's your religion, it should be a part of your sex education, but you shouldn't 
completely slack off knowledge of how to have healthy sex or pleasurable sex. And then for the substitute of religion, they can both coincide specifically because teenagers are teenagers and we can't pretend that they're not going to go out and be teenagers. Um, so that's very interesting yeah. that you say that because one of the reasons mothers do not want their daughters to start birth control is because they think that's saying yes to sex. And so there's well, a there's a whole conversation that needs to be had um, and a whole appreciation, you know. It's like, why would I want to tell her how to enjoy something I don't want her to do? Yeah. Well, then I think to Zemi's point, and this is very quick on it, hmm. but I think to Zemi's point, we can't propagate the assumption that Black people don't know what pleasure is or that they don't how to don't know how to parent because they do. And I think there are a lot of examples of positive parenting to think of. Like there's um, Lex Brown James who does a lot of work around sex positive parenting. There's um, Jet Setting Jasmine and King Noir who do a whole thing around sex positive parenting and they are um, black pornography professionals and sex workers who a therapist so like there are examples of people who do that type of work and have those models and to Nicole's point I think there are generational shifts to be accounted for in terms of the we can shift culture in terms of if you're not going to talk about something that doesn't mean talk about something to your child that doesn't mean that your child is not going to go seek it out otherwise or not going to do that healing on their own um, or that the healing is not going to come from a place of trauma, right? So just because my parents or my cousins or my grandparents don't talk to me about whatever their issue is doesn't mean that that's not going to be a site of trauma for me and I won't then seek out therapy. So I just, I wanted to put that there and also say, I think that we do have ways and knowledge that already exists that is powerful. We just need to get to a point to like, celebrate that and name that and say that we actually patron these people and celebrate these folks and want to put on their work. So to and the that's interesting. To the lay person, how do they access like that information is out there, but to the mm-hmm. mom that came from Cumberland and North Philly, how does she get access to that information to then pass it along to her daughter? Like it's great that it's out there, but the question mm-hmm. is how do we connect people to that information? And I know we have right. the internet but everybody's not don't Sometimes people don't know what to look for. Well, how do we mm-hmm. do that? And for I think sure, you're right. Sure. I think that people can go online to research this stuff, but I think there's a preponderance of pornography. There's a pornog- uh, preponderance of things that aren't so good. And so you end up with a distortion. And so it becomes, it's not just an easy find. No, mm-hmm. I think unfortunately, and I hate to, and I hate that I has to go here because I don't, trust these people neither here nor in America it's really it's a public health issue so if it were a case that we had governments who we could trust they would be the people who you'd work through in order for it to be for it to funnel back into the community because because in the same way that to be also well in terms of health issues I guess it's quite different but I know for actually I don't know how it works in your states but I know it in this country that you have um yeah contraception is free and it's available just if you google it there'll be somewhere within a five mile radius that you can get it for free that there will always be free condoms if you want it so 
in that sense, you, there, is, there are places that you could possibly go to and speak to a nurse. However, if we wanted to take that sex education a little bit further, then for us, at least for those in the UK, all that they would necessarily need is more funding so that there could be a section where we talk about pleasure rather than just STDs. Mm-hmm. But I guess maybe that would be in a sense of um, giving Planned Parenthood maybe more scope in terms of reaching out to the community and what it is that they can talk about, because I think that's the best way for... Um, reliable information to be spread from what I understand about the way that your health structure works. Right. So birth mm-hmm. control is not free. Mm-hmm. It tends to be very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You can't just go someplace and get condoms. And um, we are struggling with things like reproductive rights in the Supreme Court. And so right. all of this is a very uh, hot topic, highly legislated. Um, it's unlikely that um, the answer is going to be at the level of the government. Right. So I, I would want to know that there are people trying to fill that gap. So like me with Psychicle, I do want to create those classes. So, mm-hmm. and I would be offering, the parent has to come to the class first. So you know exactly what your kids will be learning about. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then the kids would be learning that exact same lesson that the parents had um, so that, they feel comfortable asking questions separately, of course. But I, while I, this is a program that I, I want to have at, at my organization, it's not lost on me that these programs do exist other places. I think they're just simply not known. So I actually worked as a CLA, um facilitator for a little while while I was in my master's program. And that was geared towards uh, young black women um, or young black girls again uh, from, I think, high school age so as long as you were in a freshman to senior you can take these classes they were completely free to you and what I loved about that program is it really did go over everything so yes it talked about pregnancy and STDs but it also talked about healthy um, relationships how do you know whether this is abusive or not abusive Um, uh, bodily autonomy whether you want to do something or you do not want to do something you do not have to like it, mm-hmm. it was really all-encompassing and it was beautiful and they came to you so they did it at schools they came and did this at like summer camps and rec centers pretty much if you call them they came out as long as you had enough girls to actually chat with and because it was actually government funded they got a grant for it they also came with snacks so the kids could like eat something for lunch like so we have those programs if anything i i would agree that we simply need more funding for them um and then we need uh, uh to expand them so that everybody knows where they are and everybody knows that they can come to them if you're squeamish about having that conversation with your kid we can give you all this information and then we can teach your kid the same exact information that we're giving you and then uh, kind of teach you how to talk to them. That way it doesn't feel like this foreign, I have no idea what I'm doing and I really just don't want them to be anywhere near sexual things yet. Wow. The conversation continued a little while longer. These four impressive women a sexuality researcher, a sex therapist, an educator, an entrepreneur, were rock stars. It was my pleasure to have the opportunity to discuss a very important topic with these women, to learn, to share, and hopefully you've enjoyed the conversation and will take advantage of the information that was presented. Until our next podcast, take care.